0: Hello and welcome this week to actually I'm going to get this one right. Talking Flutes and welcome back. Hello, Claire.
1: Hello John Paul, and this is Talking Flutes podcast.
0: <laughs> I know you're scared I was going to and pinch we're here it, Hove. it. We are back in Hove. It was pouring down with rain yesterday, and I think because I was due to come down today, as is the British obsession with weather, it's beautiful.:
1: Well, it hasn't been. <laughs> that makes a change knows this summer has been sort of non-existent we've had a huge amount of water but today is very nice
0: it is and your friendly dogs are wandering around so if we hear the odd bark shows a yep. reality of life doesn't it
1: i have to warn you the postman hasn't been yet so there could be quite an eruption soon
0: <laughs> <laughs> i think we can just get a seagull as well couldn't we
1: yep yep there's lots of seagulls here
0: so what are we um talking about this week
1: Well, we've had a huge amount of questions, so I thought this would be a good opportunity to try and get through as many as we can. Mm -hmm. Some will be longer than others. Yep. So let's start with a question from Anna Waring from South Africa. Oh. And she asks, how do you begin to plan a recital and what would you call a balanced programme? Would you choose pieces for only concert flute or would you add some variety by adding piccolo or alto flute piece?
0: Crikey, that's complicated, isn't it?
1: It's quite complicated. It's a really interesting question because the planning stages of of a recital are so important. And if we look first sort of at the bigger picture that concert audiences are diminishing and we should start then with how to address that, that aspect first maybe. What you play is important to draw people in but we have to think about... The audience. There has to be a connection between you, your pieces and your audience. Mm-hmm. And so firstly you have to think who is your audience? Are they likely to be open to new sounds? Or are they going to be more conservative? Are they young, old? Are they a mixture? And then how do you advertise your program? And will that program pull in your audience or will it put them off? So it's achieving this balance between the pieces also that you want to play, and the pieces that the audience will enjoy. Oh, there's there's, there's
0: a potential conflict there, yeah. isn't there? And
1: also, maybe we should add into that maybe the pieces that the concert organisers want you to play. Ah. Yeah. So there's there's a there are a few things at play here. Now, in terms of of what the audience will enjoy. Um, our, many years ago when I was at college and I was in this fabulous chamber music group with harpsichord, violin and cello. And of course then we're mostly playing um, standard repertoire. So uh, standard early music repertoire. Uh, We're always looking for new works. I mean, there was a fabulous work by Barclay that um, we used to play a lot. And we were still looking for... We had pieces, a couple of pieces written for us as well. But I remember we found piece and I can't remember the composer but it was a relatively unknown composer and um, but for our combination it wasn't squeaky gate music <laughs> so it was it was there were some tunes so it's quite tuneful places I should say and it had a few movements and after the first movement someone oh, in the audience said loudly Jesus wept <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's after the first movement so that taught me a great deal about relating to your audience. And, and that relationship is constantly changing. So if the programme isn't appealing, then the audience is less likely to attend. So it was, a, it was an interesting concert. Made us laugh. <laughs> so another aspect, of course, that is the, the, the verbal communication, not just the musical communication, the verbal communication. We might have touched on this another day on another podcast. You have to engage your audience not only with your pieces uh, but also with your communication. You must talk. Um, They don't want um, sort of uninteresting snippets of information like born here, died here. They want to be engaged with stories and images and colours and sounds and tastes. Um, Another group I was in was was a flute quartet, so flute and three strings. And, of course, our usual repertoire was Mozart, Beethoven. We also had string trios, flute solos. And we had a a flute quartet by an Italian composer, which was sort of quite unknown. The composer was relatively unknown. Um, I couldn't really find out any information about him, which, and always in my concerts, if I couldn't find much information, I'd make up stories. So I talked about Venice. Venice. And then I asked, more, more specifically for the people in the audience, I asked who had been to Venice. Almost all of them. It was of a certain age, yes. demographic. So I asked them to imagine that they were sitting in St Mark's Square mm-hmm. at one of the cafes. You know, one of the ones with the live music.
0: Yeah, and, you, and need a lot, you need a lot of money to sit in there, don't you? You need
1: a lot of money. Or gin and tonic and nuts. And when they were nicely settled into this image, with the sunshine, of course, we, we played our piece. And and it worked really well because they immediately connect, had a connection with 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 something they'd experienced, and that helped them relate to the piece, which was a very sunny, bright, positive piece of music.
0: A, an an experimental no, an experiential narrative.
1: Yes. Yeah. Right. Very different so than just program music in its pure form. Mm-hmm. So you give them a story. Um, and give them some, give them an image to have in their head, and they can, they understand the piece better. Yeah, it's not trivial. This, this is something that's really works very, very well, and and is important in a, in a concert setting. Now, I read a, a blog recently that was incredibly interesting by Gerald Clickstein and he talks about in terms of of concerts and. Programming. He talks about relevance, empathy, and exclusivity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So making relevant connections between you, your repertoire, and your audience. Yep. Um A good example of this is the Sandbach Concert Society, run by Lauren and Andy Scott.
0: Up north, like yes, north, north, north of, of England, which like I've you know.
1: In a couple of times. You know, now, they
0: talk a bit strange up there, like don't they?
1: hate you. And uh, you be careful, because I come from the north. You do, British don't you, I love? Do. I ah. come from that area. So oh,
0: you've it. changed, you've <laughs> changed your stripes. You, teak, you speak kind of posh now. <laughs>
1: mm, well, moving I'm, on. <laughs> I'm getting the eyes, I'm getting the <laughs> eyes. <laughs> Back to my Radio 3 voice. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so, Lauren and Andy, they offer performing opportunities for the young musicians in the community. So, at the beginning of each concert, a selection of the local young players, they perform, and then the guest artists perform. And so an immediate connection is made between the concert society and the local community, and it brings in more people because Mm -hmm. it brings the the youngsters in who are playing, it brings their families, their friends, as well as the normal uh, concert goers within the area. So it's immediate connection. And I've got, I've got a wonderful story to tell you, which I came across in this blog by Ger- Gerald Clickstein. And it's all about the Dortmund Concert House Orchestra.
0: The Dortmund Concert House Orchestra. OK.
1: And, and it's a fantastic example of relevance, empathy and exclusivity, which you won't believe. So they were struggling to attract audiences. Um, and even though they are right in the middle of town, the building was... Not noticeable, and so they were audience were diminishing all the time. So, but they found a way to make it more interesting through milk.
0: Hang on a second, milk. Milk. Now we're not talking beer. We're talking milk.
1: Milk. So scientists have proved <laughs> right that cows produce more milk when listening to classical music. Have you read about that?
0: I ha- <laughs> no, I haven't. Happy cows. Happy Cows, Happy yeah.
1: Cows produce more milk. So the orchestra went to a local farm yes. and they played to the cows. There's a video <laughs> of them doing this.
0: <laughs> Any idea of what piece?
1: It was classical. Yes, um, Happy Piece? Or? Happy Piece, okay. Beautiful Piece. And then they continued to play recorded music on other days, uh, recorded by some of their guest artists for the season. Okay. So the cows no longer produced ordinary milk, but they produce milk with the taste of music. <laughs> so they sold <laughs> this milk, they produced the milk, they sold the milk in specialty stores and they called it Dortmund concert milk. Right. And every bottle had information about an artist playing in their season of concerts. Oh, that's a good idea, isn't it? So for each week yeah. it would be the person who was playing in, in the next concert. Mm-hmm. It sparked so much interest and made local and national news It brought so many more people, not only to the farm, but also to the concert hall. So a whole new group of people who previously had no interest in classical music were going to the concerts. And the initial costs of setting it all up were covered, and then they started to make a profit. So the farm increased its profit, and the orchestra increased its profit. What a
0: fantastic marketing viewpoint and I know it touches on something you spoke about a long time ago, which was actually how to market yourself. And if you're just going blindly forward with your repertoire, and as you say, not thinking how you're going to get bums on the seats, theoretically, you could end up playing to yourself. Yes. But by including this tenuous link of cows, there's all this sub-promotion, which brought more people into the concert house more people experienced music, more people went away happy.
1: Yeah, it was fun. And they, the, the the locals loved this connection. They could buy a bottle of milk and learn about the next musician playing in, in the next concert.
0: Oh, how wonderful.
1: Now, okay, we can't all go and play to cows. <laughs> we can't all afford to get some production like that. I think that. that's my audience. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> At least it can't criticise. <laughs> well, no comment. But for all of you performers out there who are trying to think about program planning think about these three things about the the relevance the empathy the exclusivity and how can you make a connection maybe with your local audience Um, and it just means thinking outside of the box i don't really like that term but that's what it is so you're trying to be more creative with your thinking it's not just about putting down Bach sonata Unaccompanied piece, Poulenc Sonata, second half, Prokofiev, and a flachyon. What a very
0: good point, because then you're just pigeonholing the audience. The only people who are going to come are those actually physically want to come and either hear a flute played or that particular music that they're aware of. Yep. And you're not going to be able to attract those that are unaware or unloving of that music.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So it's, it's really quite... That's why I said it, we have to look at the bigger picture. It's not just a case of picking what you think might be the right pieces. It's a way of, it's this connection. And you have to connect with people who might not normally go to a concert. So if you think back to Sir James Galway. Yep. So the man with the golden flute. Mm-hmm. Now he brought in, he still does, he brings in people to his concerts that would never normally go to a classical music concert because he made it fun, he made it interesting. It was different. They could relate to him. This, you know, this great Irishman with a twinkle in his eye. And so, when he first sort of was sort of leapt onto the music scene when he left the Berlin Phil, he had this this attraction to people that was something different. Um, and he played different sorts of music as well. It wasn't. And, and who classical. would
0: have thought taking a John Denver song on the flute? <laughs> yeah and actually transferring that love and that joyful message from that song into a wider audience, which obviously drew more people. That was the reason why I started. But.
1: So you see, that was, you know, he, he was very much an early adopter of, of this sort of technique of making connections. So if we look more now, maybe specifics. So we're saying pick pieces for your audience, not for yourself. But actually, many music clubs and management agencies request certain pieces. And there might not be pieces you want to play, but you have to go with the flow. The timing is absolutely essential. Mm. You've got to know exactly what the lengths of your pieces are. Um, because music clubs certainly they run mm. on specific time frames. Um, and they need to know what time you're starting beyond time they need to know what time the interval's coming so they can plan the drinks and they need to know what time you're finishing so in order for your, the audience not only to be able to get home but they can clear <coughs> up the place before they shut the, the concert hall up and don't forget to include the speaking time and mm-hmm. tuning up time
0: can i also probably have another thing in is um also know what's going on in the local area at the same day
1: <laughs> absolutely so you're not you're not clashing. Yes. You know, it's really, that, that, that's happened so many times to people I know that, you know, there's something huge going on at the same time as their particular uh, recital. So, yes, really look at what's happening in, in the surrounding area. So, every time you learn a piece, mm-hmm. make a note of the timing and be thinking about, in terms of thinking about what pieces to play, it's not necessarily, necessarily a time to try and educate your audience. So if you're thinking audiences need to hear more modern repertoire because they, um, you know, they're not listening to enough of it, well, they might not come. So you have to think about pieces that might open their ears, but don't try and educate them. And I read recently also about a concert promoter, big music club actually, who only wanted standard repertoire. He wanted Mozart and Beethoven. Um, and so he didn't really want to hear, he didn't want progressive music like Prokofiev, <laughs> which I thought was a bit strange. Progressive, but anyway, yeah. there we go. Um, I think standard repertoire is, is certainly used a lot for the top performers. And when I talked about uh, Gerald Klickstein saying, relevance, empathy, and exclusivity, um, he explained why top performers Attract such big audiences with standard repertoire. So he said, they have an ongoing relationship with their listeners and the media. So they're culturally relevant, your relevance. Mm-hmm. Many of the audience have listened to those top performers in recordings, and that provides the strong emotional connection. Yep. And top players don't visit towns often. So appearances become exclusive. So he, mm. he explains it in such a clear way. So the top performers can play the Beethoven sonatas, the Mozart sonatas. Please. So I, I heard a flute piano recital relatively recently by a very well-known player, fabulous player. Beautifully played, perfectly played. Incredibly hard to listen to. There was actually, it was, it, there was no enjoyment. All the pieces were dark and intense, all of them. No joy, nothing uplifting, so none stood out so it could have been one piece of that like that about grief and death mm-hmm. in a program that you could introduce your audience in a careful way but all of them didn't work so variety in a program will highlight each piece and then transport your audience to different places it help them have different emotions different images you want to leave your audience wanting more are not wanting it to finish engage your audience and try not to read off notes try to talk so you have to practice it you have to practice it as much as you would not as much as you'd practice your instrument but at the same time as you're preparing for that concert you stand in front of a mirror and imagine you're, you've walked on stage and you're talking to mm-hmm. your audience you know, it's just, just to say hello and welcome it's lovely to see you all the audience feel immediately uplifted It's lovely to be here at the venue. And and also at the end saying, thank you so much for asking us. We've really enjoyed playing to you. We hope you've enjoyed it. And we'd love to see you again. You know, all these sorts of things. And also then at the end of the concert, maybe spending some time with the audience Mm -hmm. to also then engage many, many musicians are shy. I mean, I I always felt that I was a shy person, but being a performer, is, it's like being an actor. You take on a role, mm. and so when you walk on that stage, you're a different person. You're in the performance role, and you, you can come out of yourself. It takes I, practice.
0: I like that. We can pretend, or we can, again, take on a role.
1: It's an act, when every piece you play is, is an act, because you are communicating the composer's wishes, not your wishes. So you need to be truthful to the music, keep your integrity. So you can't play every piece the same way. You know, you can't be... If you're a a super emotional player, you can't play the whole recital with that same emotional feeling. You have to change it according to the piece that's written. So you are the, the, the... You're the the route by which the composer communicates to their audience was, there was one season I did an all English programme. And it was uh, right from Baroque through to present day. Mm -hmm. And one of the pieces was Ian Clarke's TRKs. Oh, I love that piece. An ethnic piece Mm -hmm. and it's got, so it's just flute with backing track. And it's not very long, I think it's five minutes long. And you play, you always bring the lights down and then just play it. And it created a really special, different atmosphere. And that became my most successful piece during that season.
0: Should we disappear for a coffee, Claire?
1: Yeah, time for coffee.
0: Well, from talking, oh, Jean Paul, by the way. Do you know, I forgot to introduce myself at the beginning. who you are oh, yeah, I think they know the laugh don't they uh, from Talking Flutes and Jean-Paul and Claire and we look forward to speaking to you again
1: soon yeah in about five minutes actually
0: yeah well, we, we, we're recording a couple aren't we Claire <laughs> <laughs> and your dog's been very very calm
1: yeah very, very quiet person hasn't been yet
0: no the seagull's been quiet as well I was hoping for a bit of ambience you know seaside ambience podcast but
1: so until next time bye bye to everyone
0: yeah ciao cheerio bye